come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and for the blessings that you've given to us. We praise you, God, for all the things that are going on in our world. We thank you, Lord, for being sovereign in control, even though we may not like certain things that are going on in government or certain things that are going on that we see that are just so sad. And we ask you, Father God, now that you be with us, that you guide us, that, Lord, you lead people who will be strong and stand and will be mighty men like the him we just sang, it would stand for you, Christ. We pray especially, Father God, too, for the men and women who devote their lives to keeping us safe on the streets of Kansas, but also, too, over in other areas of the country and preserving our democracy. We just give you praise for their time and their devotion. We pray also, too, Father God, for those in our congregation that are going through struggles. Kay and Lucille, I thank you, Lord, so much that we have our sister Nita here today, and that, Lord, I just pray for continued health and strength for her. I pray also, too, for Cheryl, who has pneumonia, Lord, that you be with her. I pray also, too, for the families that I've been dealing with that have lost loved ones. I think of Michael Chavez lost his mom, and for Dale Mattern, who lost his dad, and for also uh, Justin's uh, dad, who uh, passed away, Justin Jackson's dad. I just pray that you be with Martha and Coco as they go through the grief of that. Pray also too, Father God, for those who we know that are in our congregation that are struggling with issues, both the marital or child issues, that Lord, you'll be with them and they'll look to you for their strength and you'll be the one who will lead them through that difficult times to bring reconciliation and hope and peace. Pray also too, Father God, for others that we know that are struggling in their lives. Uh, of addictions. We pray for Ryan and for Jordan, for David, for Eric and for Ricky and for Mitch. Uh, be with them, Lord, also. And uh, I pray also for uh, Jay that he's going through some stuff too and that he's making the changes in his life. And I pray that they're permanent and he walks in a relationship with you, Jesus Christ. I pray also too, Father God, for um, other things that are going on in our world that we don't even know about. I just pray, Father God, as you are the guide and Lord and sovereign universe, that you being in control is a marvelous thing. We appreciate that. And now, God, we ask you that you'll work in our lives and that as we hear your word, that you'll spark us, move us, get us to do what we need to do in behalf of the faith and in praise and glory to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're in the middle of Jude, smallest, one of the smallest books of the Bible. And Jude says to us, contend. He uses an athletic word, which means agonize or fight. 
because we are in a competition right now with evil in the world. And we as Christians are to battle. Why am I preaching on Jude? Well, ever since the beginning of time, especially at Christmas, we're reminded of how much Satan wants to go against the world, the truth of the gospel, and also the truth of morality in our society. We saw it in the Garden of Eden when Satan tried to, and deceived Adam and Eve and how they fell, and now we're under this curse. We're all kinds of sin, all kinds of health issues, all kinds of sickness, broken relationships, all come because of this one thing called sin and the rebellion to God and wanting to do it our way. But also we saw at the Christmas story. We see it there where Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem and we hear about Herod who hears about this baby and talks to the wise men. And when the wise men come and visit, he finds out he gets so jealous. He wants to kill Jesus. In fact, in that area and region which Jesus was born, all children under two years old were slaughtered because of the rebellion of Herod and wanting to snuff out the truth of Jesus. And so today we come and we hear Jude, Jude who preaches to us, especially in a society of postmodernism. Ever since the 1980s, a very popular trend in architecture and art and also philosophy and history and everything came to the point that there was no truth. You see it in the art where you see staircases going up as art and just stop and go nowhere. You see doors that open to a blank wall. All that is this postmodernism that says there's no truth. All the rules are out and that there's nothing but there's no truth at all. It may be true for you, but it's not true for me type of philosophy. And I heard a delightful story about a fellow by the name of Hugh Wessel, who ran away from home in New York City when he was a teenager in the 70s. And he traveled all throughout Europe with his girlfriend. And as they went around, they found this place called the Brie Fellowship, which is Francis Schaeffer, who was a Christian philosopher, who had a place where people could come and wrestle with and talk philosophically about truth and dialogue with it and to learn about it because he saw this and him and his wife opened their door to hundreds of thousands of young people looking for the truth and he who came to the door of Francis Schaeffer said hello and he said hello how can I help you and he said well I'm looking for a place to stay tonight and brother Schaeffer said to him well you're welcome tonight but we are here for this place so that you can learn and discover the truth and you said to him, well, I don't believe there's any truth. He said, I don't believe in Christianity. He says, well, Christianity is the truth. He said, but I don't believe it. I don't believe Christianity is true. But it is true, Mr. Schaefer said. And then he said, I don't believe there is any absolute truth. And Mr. Schaefer said, well, evidently you do because you just made an absolute statement. And from that point on, two weeks went on, and Hugh and his girlfriend became convinced that Jesus Christ was the truth and that they know they were converted and they both got married and became missionaries to France and Europe. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist University and Theological Seminary, said the postmodern age is an age with no truth, an age where we reach the point where it's deadly fatigue when it comes to facing the truth. This generation no longer believes that truth can be known. Whether well, such a thing is truth, and Jude wants us to not only know it, but he wants us to contend for it. And so he writes, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. 
May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Now James, the person, was the half-brother of Jesus. A lot of people don't know that. There were many people and scholars who wrestled with, who is Jude? And then here in the text, it it lays it out. James was Jesus' half-brother also. And so Jude and James were half-brothers. And when they came to the house, the family came to the house because Jesus was telling people that he was the Messiah, they wanted to say, hey, Jesus, come on home with us. We need to get you out of here because nobody's believing you. And you might be a little off. Bible here so shows us that James and Jude were the half-brothers of Jesus because they were the ones at the house, both in John and Matthew's gospel, trying to pull Jesus out of the house because he believed he was the Messiah. And so we have this writer, Jude, who now is at the point where he understands and he had come to know Jesus Christ after the resurrection. He did not believe in Jesus when he was on earth. It wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus and he showed himself to Jude and the other disciples that Jude finally believes in Jesus. And notice what he says, what the purpose is. It says his purpose is, beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about the common salvation, I I felt that it necessary to write you to appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons were crept in unnoticed, those who were long before marked out for common condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our Lord, our God, into licentiousness and die, deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude here is giving an athletic term. And what he says here, contend means to agonize, to fight, to put on the gloves so that you can fight for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That this is not a changing truth. It doesn't, it passes the test of time and is eternal truth that I've given to you. And what he's talking about here is the truth that we know about Jesus Christ. That Christ came to the world. That he, in in flesh, and that he was God in the flesh, and how he gave himself to die for our sins. That the scriptures are true, and that all that we believe as far as the virgin birth, and all that is contentious, he's talking about, that is our faith. That strong faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And that means that, for instance, that our grandchildren are not just going to get it. We have to tell them about it. Our children need to be told about the faith in Jesus Christ. They need to understand what Christ did for them and accept it into their hearts. It's just not passed on like your genealogy or what stuff like that. It is, we need to give it to our children and we need to expose them to the truth and continue to expose them to and encourage them to think through their faith and hold on to their faith. And that is so important. There are some people who have family members who do not believe. I was with a man the other day who told me he didn't believe in the gospel. And he said his brother wants him to know the Lord because he's dying. He's got maybe a week or two left to live. And he still rejects the gospel. And his friend called me, his brother called me to go up and visit with him several times before he leaves this earth to make sure he understands what the gospel is about and what's available to him if he accepts Jesus Christ in his house. Well, the same thing is for, true for us. We need to contend for the faith. Sometimes our children will walk away for a while or not involved as much. But we need to do that. Christmas is a great time for us to do that. 
When we sit around the table before we eat that meal, that you can pray and thank God for Christ and what He's done and also for the meal that we have. When we sit around maybe at Christmas Day to open up gifts and we share those gifts with each other, that we can give thanks to God. Even maybe read the, the gospel story of Christ coming to earth and about Jesus being born of a Virgin Mary. Those are things that we want to encourage but they're fighting words, folks. We need to fight for our families. We need to fight for our truth here in America today. This country has been founded on Christian truth, and yet we find it delineated and dissolved from us. And there's a competition here, and Jude knows it. See, he's in the first century, and he's battling it. We're in the 21st century, and we're battling. And the competition for false and unbelief, false Falsehoods are plethora among our, our generation today, especially with Facebook. We have a president that came up back in 2006 in a conference called Building a Covenant for the New America. And President Barack Obama spoke out. He said, we no longer are a Christian nation, he said. At least just that we are, not, we are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, and nations of non-believers. Tragically, that is true in some sense. And that's why we need to contend for the faith. This faith established the Constitution of the United States. Ninety-five references in the Constitution from the Bible are there. That we also have in the, uh, in the um, Bill of Rights. There are things in that Bill of Rights that come right out of the Bible. We see it on the Mayflower Compact was written in there that they were coming over to America to bring evangelism and bring Jesus Christ to the native land of America. This is all in that, but we don't hear about that in our history books. But this is what we are. And we're called to fight the fight as Christians, to assert ourselves and make this the, the battle that we live by for the rest of our lives and that we fight for it. And it's a foundation heritage that we need. You know, there's many people who come along and prayer in schools was taken out. I learned how to pray the Lord's Prayer and I learned to memorize the 100th Psalm and the 23rd Psalm in public school. But since Mary, 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 Madeline Mary O'Hare came along, she was made enough of a fuss that it was removed from our schools and even science. The wonderful work of science that it can be done Kepler, when he was going through it, he was a mathematician and he also did many work with astrology. He says, what we're doing in, in science, he says, we're discovering after what God has already put together. That's what he said. And yet today it's more mechanistic that it all just happened. And it came out of a primordial slime and I find it very hard to believe that there are right people who think that who actually think that that happened. You see, Paul spoke to these people. In chapter 2 of Acts, we see that Peter spoke and people came to know the Lord. In 17, though, Paul walks on to a group of people who didn't know God. They had their own gods. They didn't know Jesus Christ. And he comes in and there's a statue to the unknown God. And he says, and to the unknown God, this is who I speak to you about. And he lays out the gospel to these pagan people in the Aragopagus in Greece. And talks to them about a creator. He talks to them about the life that goes on. I have a friend that goes into uh, Japan and was a Japanese missionary. He said they're the hardest people to win to Christ. You know why? Because they have such hard hearts. 
and they're believe that there's thousands of gods in Shintoism, and your God is just as good as my God, and you can divine your God, whatever you want. And that we have to go back, he says, and then start from scratch. Talk to them about the fall of man and about sin, because they have no concept of sin. He says they also have no concept about Jesus Christ sacrificing for our sins. We have to start, and it's the same way today in America. People don't have the meta-narrative, which is the story that underlines all America used to be, the gospel story, and how Christ came with his birth, and how he died on the cross. That meta-narrative has diminished and is gone almost. And we have to reteach people that. Like my friend who had a Bible school over in his trailer park, and he invited the kids in, and they had 70 kids, and out of the 70 kids, only two knew about Jesus Christ. The rest of them heard the name because it was a curse for their parents. And you need, this is what we need to do. This is the greatest opportunity that we have today is in our culture to bring the gospel back to America since it's missing. And that's why Jude says contend, fight. Fight for the truth that's been entrusted to you with our faith and our hope and our good attitudes about Christ. We can share the gospel. And that we wonder, you know, people sit there and wonder, chiefs get on there and they say, I don't understand why we have so many murders. Well, I don't know how many people are dying of suicides. Since 2016, the age which had risen to the highest it had ever been of median age of which we live was a 79.8 has been dropping since 2016. You know why it's dropping? Three things. It's in the 20 to 35-year-olds range. And it's, number one, is overdosing. We have Narcan, and we still can't get there in time to save their lives. Number two, that they're committing suicide at all-time high. And murder is also way up. The other week, I, had, I was on two days, and I had three suicides, a 19 and two 18-year-olds that took their life. This is the reality of what has happened in America because that meta-narrative, the gospel has been taken out of the picture. And what we see here is why Jude says to us, we need to fight for our faith. We need to bring it on. And we need to be working hard to fight against the falsehoods that are plethora in our society because of Facebook and media and Instagram and all these others. TikTok is the worst as far as I know right now, but it's always something that'll go a little bit further. And that sin and evil need to be seen. And yet, you know what? Jesus had the harshest words, not for the prostitutes and not for the, uh, and not for the drunkards, but the worst words he said was to the church who were hypocritical and bringing false teaching. That's what he says here, Jude, today, that these people have slept in unnoticed and they change the value system and the faith that we hold in today. And there are some in the church who are ripping apart the foundation of the faith. And what Jude does then, he says, hey, look, this is what happens when that happens. He said, look at three examples of this. And he pulls out three examples of people who were unfaithful, godly people who were unfaithful. Now, I desire to remind you, though, that you know all things once for all. That the Lord, after saving people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. 
He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of these great days. And just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they were the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example uh, in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. He quotes three different examples. One of them was, the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, and here they are at the base of the Canaan land, and Joshua and Caleb and ten others were going to scout out the land. When they go to scout out the land, and they find out that they're bigger guys, and they've got great weaponry, we're not going to beat them. The ten guys folded. Joshua and Caleb said, we can beat these guys because God has promised to give it to us. So let's go and take them on. And instead, they folded. And because of that, God punished them and had a whole generation of people for 40 years out in the desert who dropped dead before they had another chance to go back into the promised land. The same thing with angels, he says in verse 6. They did not keep their domain. They were angelic beings, spirit, and they took on human bodies. They began to have sex with women here on earth. And because of that, God's punishment for those demons was to throw them right directly into hell. And they're there now. Peter says they're waiting for their final judgment, and they're already in pain. That's what happened with them. And then thirdly, he said, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. He said all the sexual sin that they were doing, angels show up to tell Lot that it's time to get out of the city. And what do they do? They come to his door and they want to have sex with these new men in the city. And God punishes them. And today Sodom and Gomorrah is down at the Dead Sea in the bottom of it because it was destroyed by fire and hail and brimstone and then went down into the bottom of the sea. That's where it's at today. And he gives these illustrations of history. Because he wants them to know God's wrath will punish people who reject his word and reject him and want to sin. You know, <clears throat> it's hard for me to believe that, as I was saying before, that scientists can't believe that God designed this. That this all just came together in some slop. It took an intelligent mind to make human beings, to put this earth into the orbit and in and all the wonderful things about it. The other morning as I came back from the gym, I walked into my house and my little granddaughter, two months old, laying on the floor. And I look at her and she's starting to recognize people. And I see those little fingers and I look at her, and I just spoke to her very quietly, and she started smiling. And I'm sitting there going, how could this fine little baby with those tiny fingers and tiny toes just come out of nothing? That God designed us with this DNA and with the way we're built. It's a marvelous thing what he's done with the human body and the brain and even the soul that we have that no other animal experiences the spiritual life that we have. It's marvelous. And then you think about what he's done to the earth and its orbit and how we have this atmosphere around us that contains the oxygen and all these things that no other planets have. 
It's phenomenal how God put it in a special orbit and to deviate it just a little bit would cause us such great problem and pain. This just didn't happen. It was as if I would say to somebody, let's get raw materials. Let's get plastics and wires and metal and everything, and let's put it in a factory down at Spirit. And let's put a big fan up and turn that fan on and let it start blowing and see if that plane will come together. That would be foolishness. How many people does it take to design just the plane? No less how to put all the different parts and how many people it takes to develop it and where to put it and how to do it and, 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 and how it's going to fly and the aerodynamics. All these things take thousands of people. And we think that it's just going to happen? It makes no sense. And here we see that I, I had friends that used to come to this church, uh, moved out of the area, but they were designers at Learjet. And they, I remember six of them working on a little handle for a cabinet inside a Learjet for weeks trying to design it, how it could be the lightest and what kind of materials to do in order so they wouldn't add much weight to the plane. It's incredible. And you multiply that times the electronics and all the other stuff, it's, it's, and, and, and we think that this came together without any intellectual designer behind it. We're kidding ourselves. And today that's why we're called as men and women of God so that destruction doesn't come to our own lives, destruction don't come to our families, and that we can truly be in the family of God and be with Jesus forever with our loved ones. And at first we have to have a sense that we learn and know the truth of God. This is how we do it. And that second, that we understand that we need to obey God. Some people say to me, Dave, do you think America's under the judgment of God? I said, why, sure. How can it not be? If we're killing 40 million babies since 1978 or 73, how could God, who judged Sodom and Gomorrah, as Anne Graham, Billy Graham's daughter, said, how could God judge Sodom and Gomorrah and not judge America with all the filth that's going on right now? Basically, he would owe um, Sodom and Gomorrah an apology for not judging America. The moral evil and filth that is going on right now. And you see, what is interesting, in Romans chapter 1, God doesn't say, well, I'm just going to go out and get him. He can. And in Revelations, we're going to see that. And if it's played out in our time, we'll see it. But in Romans chapter 1, it says, no, he just backs up and doesn't do anything. And because he doesn't do anything, it implodes by itself. Look what happened in our cities today. Prosecutors who are not prosecuting. We have people, they've dropped the amount, they've, they've increased the amount of what you can get for, for, for stealing something out of the store. Now we've got 83 people plunging into these stores and breaking stuff and stealing stuff out. And they must be there with calculator and making sure it's under $1,000. That's what's going on in our country. And see, that's what God does. He'll back up. And he'll just say, okay, you want to run the show? You don't want to use my values and morals? Good. Let's see how that works for you. And it implodes on itself. 
Khrushchev said the same thing about America way, way back when, that the Russians are not going to bull us over militarily. They couldn't do it. But he knew that our freedom would implode upon us if we didn't, weren't responsible about it. And we have a lot of people right now who are being irresponsible with the laws and the fabric of the society and trying to change it from God's way. And it's going to destroy us as a nation. That the fallen angels, like the fallen angels, are in judgment. Like Sodom and Gomorrah is in judgment. So is mankind today in judgment. And how long God will be patient, who knows. But one thing we need to do, we, as Jude said in the first chapter, first few verses, we need to contend for this faith in our families, with our friends, and wherever we can speak. We need to purify ourselves and follow the word of God. We need to watch and pray as things develop and begin to warn even more and more people. We need to be careful on what we give our money to that we're not supporting this filth and this slutch and that we need to be separated from the world. One of the reasons why we're leaving our denominations because we feel that they're no longer walking in step and we're no longer can walk in step with them because they're going in another direction with human sexuality. We can't support that. We love those people. We care about those people, but we are not going to prove it. Freedom doesn't mean that we put our stamp on it and say it's okay. No. Freedom means no, you don't do that, and we love you and we want to help you to follow God's way rather than your own. And that we have to be careful what we give ourselves to in our church and in our domination. I saw this many times and I spoke against it in my own denomination when back in the 90s, I think it was, or 2000, Charles Kratheimer, who was a, a, brilliant edit, uh, a brilliant writer for the New York Times, and he discovered that the World Council of Churches was giving money to the Contras in South America, and they were buying guns with that money, rather than giving food to the people who were starving in those South American countries. You see, we have to be so careful. Malcolm Mungridge said that the World Council of Churches, they are agreed in mostly anything because they don't believe in anything. We are people who stand for the truth. We need to fight for it. There are churches that may have disagreements about minor issues. But as Gustin said to it, in essentials, we are united. Jesus came to earth. He rose again from the dead. That he was born of a virgin Mary. We believe in those things in the Apostles' Creed. And so those essentials, we are in unity. That scripture is the sovereign word of God that we adhere to. But in non-essentials, things that we may disagree about a little bit, we are at liberty to do that. But in all things, we're to love people. That's what he calls us to do. And the pattern of this oneness comes and begins with the Trinity of God, the sovereign God, the Savior world, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who works within us. And our purpose is to reach out to the world and bring this saving knowledge to the world. And that we practice our oneness to display to the world that we truly love each other in Christ. You see, there's the universal church, which is big. A lot of buildings out there, a lot of people go to church. But how many do really believe? 
I remember my first congregation leading a 70-year-old woman who'd gone to church all her life to Jesus Christ because it's the first time she ever accepted Jesus in her heart. You see, there's the visible church that's large, but inside that visible church is really the ones who are truly believers is very small. Didn't Jesus say that? Wide is the way that leads to destruction where many there go by it. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And so we're called to live in that. And you see, we are not to be Benedict Arnold's like he's talking about here. We don't sell out Christ. We don't sell out the truth. But we walk in the truth. And that we are not pitiful, prideful. You see, there are people today in theological circles that say things that disgust and are going against Scripture. And sometimes I get so angry and frustrated with my own colleagues who I've known and I thought loved the Lord, but when they say stuff that is ungodly and against God's will in His Scriptures, it makes me angry. And I want to it's, we're really, truly in a fight, folks. And notice what Jude says here. He said, in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. They don't care who they say it about, even God himself, they don't care. But Michael, the archangel, who, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like animals, and like our unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Now what he's saying is these people like to make up stuff. They like to think big patterns and think beyond the scriptures. And then what happens is they wind up adding false teaching to the scriptures. A lot of it has to do with flesh. I like the, the atheist who, um, his name is Bertrand Russell, admitted that the reason why he didn't want to believe in Christ and in the gospel is because he wanted to live the profligate life, the sinful life. He liked the way he was living. Paul Tillich, who was a theologian at the seminary in New York City, Union Theological Seminary, was living with women and going out on the nights and partying with them, and he would produce some of the most crass theology against God, which was amazing. And yet some hold him up as this great thought person. But Michael here is giving us as an example. He says he doesn't even provoke, he doesn't even present a rebuke Michael. And what Michael was doing, Michael, the archangel, was in a dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. You remember Moses died. Didn't go into the Canaan land. That was his punishment. And Satan wanted to know where his body was. Where God had buried him. And Michael wouldn't tell him. And God didn't show him. Do you know why? Because he knew that Satan would use that as a shrine and that people, the Jews, would come and worship Moses at the spot of his burial. And so he did not tell him. And even though Satan continued to rile and try to, to, to 
pull it out of Michael. He would not, in fact, he wouldn't even rebuke him. But notice what he says. The Lord will take care of you. The Lord rebuke you. You see, he was wise and knew what God wanted. And all these revilings and not understandings, that things that he knew, and by, by the instinct these theologians come out and with all these crazy thoughts. And it says it's pitiful because judgment is going to be upon them. And so here we have it. We're to study ourselves and prove to God. Know the truth. Set your friends free. Contend for it. If you don't know something that they ask you about your faith, and Jesus Christ say, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. And then pray for them. Pray that God will change their hearts. I'm praying with several guys right now that I know whose hearts are cold to the gospel. And also, follow God in all your ways. Stand for the truth. Don't back down. The problem with the church has been it's backed down too long. All for the God-blessed tolerance attitude. That's bull. There is a truth out there and people are dying and going to hell because they don't know the truth. All because of syncretism. We want to blend everybody kumbaya together. Let's sing it together. And they're giving up on the truth. Not to be. What we need in the church and what we need to be for each other. We need to be each other's backup. We need to fight for one another. We need to encourage one another. We ought to fight for them. That's what God wants us to do so that we can go out into the battle and fight the battle and know that we have people behind us. In close, I want to share this story with you that happened with Sandy and I. When I was a senior in seminary, we had a retreat for our high school youth group. And at that retreat, I had met at our seminary a new student at the seminary. And if you remember, some of you might have been around at that time, but when I was in college, my freshman year, the last lottery was for people who were going to get um, called into the army. And some people wound up one, two, and three. Some of them went to Atlanta, went to Canada. Some of them signed up and wanted to get ahead of the recruiters so that they could find and pick where they wanted to go. Well, this fellow that came to seminary after his military career did that very thing. He was a running back for the University of Illinois at the time, freshman year, and so he got number one. So he signed up for the Air Force. He went in, and he wanted to be in the special forces of the Air Force. It's kind of like the Green Berets of the Air Force. And what he wound up doing is he had three people, two people with him. And they were a little three-man team. And they would go and do certain things. He was a sharpshooter, the sniper. Then they had a radio man, and then they had a, a Vietnamese soldier who was with them and would guide them and show them through the jungles of where they needed to be. Well, on this very time, they were given orders a base, a U.S. Air Force base had been overrun in Cambodia. And what had happened was the VC took it over and they were flying some of their flights, their MiGs, out of there. 
And so him and the two other guys were supposed to drop down a couple miles away and then sneak in in the night and take as much intelligence they could find out at the base where their armament was, all this kind of stuff. When they flew out that day, the meteorologist made a mistake in miscalculation. And instead of landing about two miles west of the base, they wound up coming down right at the end of the runway of that base. And as they were coming down, the VC must have thought they were being invaded. And there was a, a tank, a Russian tank, at the end of the runway, protecting the runway. And when they were coming down and they were thinking that they were invading, when the three of them landed as they were landing, they landed the threesome, and the men in the middle, who was their radio man, was shot immediately with a 90-millimeter shell, busted apart. Shrapnel went all over. He got shrapnel in his leg and, and in his arm. The other guy on the other side of the fellow that was shot, he got shrapnel. They were captured, and they were put in these little boxes that were about this big by this big, and they were bamboo. And then they were interrogated. They wound up being at that base for six months. With the shrapnel, immediately the medics from the VC came and they poured lye on their wounds so that they wouldn't get infected. And then they laid there, and the commander of the, the camp would come and interrogate them every day. And they found out information about his, where he lived, on what base he was from. Because of his dog tags, they were able to run it, and they found out where he lived, what his wife's name was, and who lived beside him at the camp. And they would say all kinds of things about what his wife was doing with the other soldiers, taunting them. And then they also had people who would come along and defecate on them. This is the type of torture they were receiving. He said, at that time, I realized life, I had heard about Jesus Christ all my life, but that was finally I realized that I needed Christ and that he's going to have to deliver me. He said, there it was for six months, and this disgusting stuff was taking place all the time. And then he said, one day, I heard planes, jets, helicopters. And what had happened was, he said, it was the Americans coming to claim back the base. And he said, as they were coming back, we were hearing shootings. And he said, all of a sudden, I heard someone run up to where we were. And I heard a shot from a gun, very close range. And then he said, I heard three more shots, and I felt something fall on my bamboo box. He said, and then for several minutes, it was just this weight on my back. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I felt that weight pulled off. And the box, the top open. He said, the first thing I saw was an American flag on his shoulder. And here it was, special forces from the Air Force, to deliver them. 
And he said what had happened was the VC commander came out and he shot the guy next to me point blank range. And as he was turning to shoot me, one of our soldiers shot that commander and that's what fell on top of my back box. Was that he said, and I'll never forget as long as I live. When I saw that box open and I saw that American flag, he said, I knew they had my back. They came back to get me. Friends, that's what we need for each other. We need to be prepared for the battle and back each other up and fight this fight that's going on in school boards, going on in city councils. It's going on at the state house. It's going on at the federal level in Washington, D.C. to fight for the truth of Jesus Christ and back each other up, encourage each other as we get into the battle together. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for these, your folks, who love you, Jesus. And we want nothing better for our families and our friends than to know you to know the truth that saves them, and that we can live in eternity with each other, but also have a good society here where people can live without fear of getting shot or going to a large area like New York and not be afraid of getting shot in Times Square. Lord Jesus, we know your truth has brought together this Western society, has held it together for so many years in the precious, wonderful gifts that we have of freedom to work and freedom to enjoy things that no other country really has. I just pray, Jesus, that you can help us in our fight and help us to contend for the faith boldly, Jesus. As we sang, God rest you, Mary, you strong men and women for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close with our benediction and singing our closing song. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, be with you now and forever.